Hello and welcome to the Sea of Startups, where we dive into the stories behind the startups in Southeast Asia. I'm your host, Kevin Brocklin, Managing Partner of Indelible Ventures. Now, if you're a founder or funder looking to learn more about what drives the startups in Southeast Asia, this podcast is for you. We're about to sit down with founders to uncover the unique insights into the origins and motivations behind launching their startups. We'll uncover the stories behind the struggles, the ups, the downs guided from the view of an entrepreneur. So without any further ado, let's jump into today's show. All right. I am very happy today because my guest is Brian Tan, the founder of Future Lab. For those of you who don't know, Future Lab is a mentorship platform connecting mentors to mentees to guide career paths, gain skills, and develop professionally from university through to enterprise. Thank you very much for being here today, Brian. Hey, Kevin. Thanks for the, thanks for the invite. Happy yeah, yeah. So take take me back. I, I'm always curious to understand like the origins of a of a startup. What was your founding story? What got you the idea? Where where did the where did it come from? Yeah, this this is way back, man. So I think the first time I thought about this idea was when I graduated. So I had a lot of trouble deciding what I wanted to do when I graduated. So I I studied biochemistry in the in the UK, and like most young people, you know, you study something and then realize damn it, I don't really want to do this as a career, right? So, so, so I was like one of those kids. And I, when, I, when I graduated, my dad asked me, like, hey, what do you want to do with a biochemistry degree? And I was like, hmm, I, I could go the research path, which I had some experience being a researcher at Oxford University. And then I realized during that one year, it's like, I'm not really sure this was kind of the path for me. Um, so I did what most young people do, follow your friends. So I saw my friends did a master's in management, did my master's in management in Imperial. And then same thing as well, didn't know what I wanted to do. A lot of them wanted to apply as a management consultant. So when I came back to Malaysia, I just applied to all these consulting firms, managed to get interviews with all the consulting firms. But the first time I did a case study was in an interview with BCG. So, and that was the first time I practiced and I completely fail that interview, right? And I didn't realize that if you got an interview and didn't pass it, you couldn't apply for two years. So this is when it kind of, I, I had that shock. I had a shock with the, the type of interview I went for as well as, you know, the what happened if you didn't pass it. So I, I, I came back home, started realizing, oh, I really need to prep for this. You know, I don't know what management consultants do. I didn't understand the websites. I reached out to people on LinkedIn. No one replied me on LinkedIn because I was just, uh, this is back in 2012, by the way. So LinkedIn wasn't as friendly, I guess. <laughs> uh, ended up in a lo- uh, local forum called Laoyat. And then I just found all these like uh, random uh, career threads then about management consulting. And I was just like kind of connecting and reading to, with people and stuff like that. Um, eventually, I tried to meet one of them to practice case studies, met him in a, a coffee shop, and we were both terrible at it. And in that moment, I, you know, the idea was, why couldn't I just connect with someone in the company that I'm trying to apply for so I can really understand what they do, right? Because I couldn't find this information anywhere. As a fresh grad, I went on the website. The website is to sell the service, right? So it's all gibberish to a young person. So I think that was the first time I thought about the idea. Fast forward the story, I got into management consulting. 
Um, and a lot of young people that had science backgrounds that wanted to get into management consulting messaged me on LinkedIn. So then I was like, hey, I remember when I was that kid and no one really helped me, right? So during the four years I was a management consultant, I used to help a lot of you know, graduates or young people trying to get into like consulting. And that's really where I really kind of built that belief that I wanted to build a platform where, you know, uh, really could help young people connect to dif- uh, different mentors in different industries um, and help them. Because we, I also know that a lot of my friends do help young people, which were all consultants as well. And there's a lot of nice people in the industry that's willing to help these kids. So, yeah, that's essentially kind of like how the idea started. Uh, then we got our first cradle grant and then it kind of grew from there. Yeah, yeah, I, I I like that because you you were actually seeking out and experience the problem yourself. You were trying to find some sort of advice, some sort of guidance on a problem, and just kept on coming up short with it, and really realized, hey, I'm not the only one. There needs to be something here. Yeah, yeah. I definitely uh, I definitely did not expect to be an entrepreneur, but I felt this problem was such a big problem. I don't I didn't understand why no one has built anything to help young people transition into the workforce because the entire time we're just in a bubble, right? Primary school, secondary school, high mm-hmm. school, college, university, you come out and you're like, oh shit, I have no idea what the working world is like, you know, with digitalization and so there's so many kind of different jobs and, you know, coming from an Asian background is always a doctor, lawyer, engineer, accountant, you know? So it's like, it's, we just have like, like such uh not, not much exposure, like what's available to us, you know? So I felt like, as the world is evolving, there's definitely more jobs. But, but how much of that information is actually being transferred mm-hmm. to the young people so that they can decide, hey, I want to do this and I know how to do it, how to get there, right? Yeah, so I was just really passionate about the problem. Um, when I decided to leave my job to do it full time, I told myself, like, you know, I, I don't want any regrets, right? So I, this is something I felt very passionate about. Try to build it. If it works, great. If it doesn't work, it's fine but you cannot not try to build it. Yeah, so I think that's kind of uh, where I was uh, mentally when I left my job to do this. My parents weren't too happy, but it was more for me than my parents. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think that last part comes into to, to very much on what you touched on before in regards to the standard career paths. Being an entrepreneur does not fall into one of those uh, desired career paths uh, um, um, very commonly. Uh, although I believe that is most certainly changing. Uh, so it's it's great to see somebody recognize a passion, a problem, develop a passion around it and really hit it. You know, I'm I'm cu- I'm curious as well because you know, most corporates have been saying for the longest time that there's a skills mismatch with what the university students that are coming out versus what they need to be productive on day one. So I'm curious of when you started building this out, how did you end up developing feedback loops from getting getting the understanding from what the corporates are looking for, getting an understanding of where these young people are at? How did you initiate the product development? Oh man, <clears throat> okay. So I actually used to do this on the weekends when I was like actually working for uh, Accenture. So I went back to that same forum, right? So I, 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 that's where I kind of got help from. So when I was a consultant I, and I wanted to test this idea, I kind of went back into these forums and I went like, hey, I'm a management consultant. You know, uh, would you like to meet these consultants? So I invited my friends that were all management consultants. We went to a coffee shop and these people from these forums signed up and then they came to this coffee shop, right? 
So then we we kind of organized like speed mentoring sessions um, in real life. And then, uh, you know, they'll spend like 15 minutes per mentor, then they'll sit at my table. Then at my table, I'll be like, hey, I'm trying to build something called Future Lab. Future Lab does A, B, C, D, helps you, you know, your practice, your interviews, practice your, you know, um, you know, you get your CV right, as well as understanding of like what these industries are. Because when we look into it, it's not necessarily that you don't have a skill because you're a fresh grad. You have that piece of paper. You are intelligent enough. The gap is that, first of all, I think English is a big barrier. So even if you're super smart and you can't communicate it, you're going to have an issue. So we realized that, hey, how do we help these people practice communicating about what they want, the career, the company, and the, you know, their career progression? So I think that's the first part. The second thing as well is like these, these young people don't know what skills were actually valuable Right, because they did they kind of had it, they kind of know about it, but they didn't know how like whether that could help them really get the job. So by working with actual mentors that are working in these positions, they already know what kind of skills are required. So they're already telling them, you need to learn this, you need to have these skill sets. So it's actually working with the mentors, actually, not really necessarily the HR teams, it's actually working with the product manager of the company, the senior mm -hmm. consultant of a company that is sharing that advice to a younger person yeah getting it direct from the source of somebody yeah. that actually has the the experience on what the day-to-day -day of a job actually involves and saying hey i do this this and this you should learn these skills if you want to do if you want to do what i do yeah yeah correct because end of the day after you pass the hr part you meet them right you meet mm -hmm. those guys at the, the last interview because they're the ones that tell you whether they want you or not right so it's the the HR system is more, you know, systematic, right? You need to get a certain GPA. You got to go come from an international university, so on and so forth. But there's always a problem between uh, the person managing the team and HR because, they, you know, if you work for a very big company, so many different kind of roles and there's different personality types you need as well for the mm -hmm. role. So if you could like bypass that HR system, speak to the, the, the end person that's going to give you the job or not, they can really tell you what they are looking for, right? In terms of the kind of personality, what it takes to be successful in this role because they live it. They are holding these positions, right? And also okay. they have learned these skill sets so they can even give you links of where they learned it for free because maybe mm -hmm. back in the day, you know, they were already using these kind of uh, resources. Sure, sure. So, okay. So clearly, you've got the understanding of the use case. You, you, you've, you've kind of, uh, uh, let's say, hacked your way into getting those initial test cases by inviting consultants out, bringing mentors in, and so on and so forth. But when it comes time to actually create systems around it and and roll out an actual product. What went into actually building out the platform as well? You know, in the early days, you're often trying trying to prioritize because you want to do so much, but you can only prioritize a handful of things. So take me back to that early step into the thought process on how you how you got going. Yeah, so I, I use a, a concept called like design thinking. So, you know, obviously one of the big problems is that, you know, the, as a founder, you might think you know the solution. Right, you, you know, you, you imagine your head. But when I was thinking about this problem, I, I really just focus on, uh, you know, bits and pieces of it and slowly build as we look at user behavior. So the first version of Future Lab was basically, you know, uh, a directory of mentors. You can schedule a time with them. It launches a Google Hangout video call. 
jump into the call, have a chat. That was finished. So when uh, when we got our first um, our first grant, we just wanted to start with an MVP that does that, right? So because we even tested it before we built it. So I remember the coffee shop thing I tell you about. Mm-hmm. I did it for a year, every week, every every. Oh, wow, one one year doing the one coffee year. shop get-togethers. Yeah. Uh, one interesting. Year, one year. So I, wow. every year, yeah. So that's uh, because I want to apply for you know uh, a government grant. So I had to collect the data, right? So mm. I, every month I would organize this for accounting, engineering, oil and gas, and it, it, people came, right? So I was like, I was so so convinced this works. So I even did it. I even tested doing it online. So I even did it in a way that, hey guys, why don't you guys stay home? Just let's just do this online, right? Uh, so, so for me, I knew it would work. So like when I wanted to build an MVP, it was just that I just wanted to test that I could get mentors around, around Malaysia, connect them to mentees and could speak to them. So that was like the first, the first version of future lab. And, and we kind of work very closely with the mentors and mentees and try to understand how do we help bridge, you know, the learning part of it as well. Right. So how do we get the feedback after every session, like the mentors giving feedback for the mentees, the mentees giving uh, reflecting on the sessions as well. But what happened with, uh, and it was completely free. So like the first year that was just growing. Uh, and then what happened was a few of the mentors went like, hey, Brian, I really like your product, but uh, do you have like an enterprise version of this? And I was like, oh, no, not really. Um, you know, I did, it didn't even come to our mind that they needed it. So this was our first client, which was Magic. Mm-hmm. Um, Magic was the, they're the, Malaysian startup incubator. <clears throat> now they changed to Marathi. But essentially, I also went through their programs and as a startup founder. So they wanted to use our platform to mentor the other Malaysian startups. So, and they said they'll pay us 60000 for it. So I was like, hey, that sounds great. Um, so <laughs> you want to uh, pay so, me? Okay. <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> so we built it in two weeks. It was really shit. Uh, but you know, we, we just built it because, Hey, you know, this is our first year, let's try to build this thing. So we built it integrated into the, in the platform and people started using it. Right. Um, and we used to go to magic and, you know, things would break and everyone would be like, that's the future team. And then they'll just complain about how bad our system was. But, but when we look at the data, we actually, like, we actually grew their mentoring sessions up because the, the way they used to do it was physical. You had to drive to cyber Jaya. Mm-hmm. Eat them there. It's so far if you live in, you know. Yeah, for those not familiar with Kuala Lumpur, Cyberjaya is like a forty-five minute drive out of the city. It is not easy to get to. There's not public transportation that links you up there. It's it's not the easiest place to get to. Yeah, it's not right. So so we solved that problem, right? We could actually get mentors just uh, just virtually like this, have a one-on-one call. So so we've been they've been our client for the last five years. So they've never not been our client since then. Um, but we grew the sessions from like I think fifty mentoring sessions a year to around two thousand a year to our system. So I think you know I think it's very much kind of working with the the users and also trying to make sure that there's an outcome to mentorship. Like mm-hmm. what are you trying to achieve, right? If you're trying to get a a job, then making sure that uh, the system can match you the right mentors, but also track that progress um, for. For a startup incubator or a company that's trying to run talent development programs, you know, making sure we can track and also remind people of having these sessions. Because one of the biggest pain points is the chasing people. Hey, did you do your session yet? Can you fill up the form? And then how do you collate all that data uh, and then have a way, a way to kind of study it, right? 
so yeah so i think it's very much kind of just understanding and kind of working with uh, the, the early stage users and trying to build that product out yeah it's it sounds like you're through natural evolution you could you kind of ended up taking on new use cases because essentially i mean when you're when you're starting off in the coffee shops this it's it's really like linking up university students it's it's kind of that seasoned professional to young student mentor relationship university to enterprise but then you start evolving into magic which is more startup incubators still a similar logic of trying to match up the expert with uh, the person that's getting going as well, you know, within the enterprises, you noted professional learning and development. So it really seems to have uh, evolved into multiple use cases. Yeah, because, you know, mentorship is, is, is simple, right? It's just someone with more experience mentoring someone that has less experience. And that experience can be startup being a startup founder, uh, being a professional in any industry, uh, you know, there's so many use cases for it. So how do you build a system to help facilitate mentorship in different use cases? You know, and I think talent development, especially with the whole pandemic and the digitalization of like companies, is all about upskilling and reskilling, right? Mm -hmm. You can't find that kind of talent to hire in because we don't have that talent in the, in the region. So, okay. you know, how do you scale that kind of training as well using the system? Okay. Yeah. So let me let me ask on a, on a related note because you, you know when you have a mentorship platform you you have a matching aspect of it because you're trying to match the appropriate mentor for a mentee and so as you're scaling up this business you're also having to scale up both sides of this equation and making sure that it's not imbalanced that the right skill sets of the mentors how did you approach this in order to make sure that you're getting positive feedback not getting too many uh, misses and so forth yeah so i think um, when we started out it was just anyone that wanted to sign up any careers right so we even had like jewelry designers we had like a whole <laughs> bunch of really different kind of jobs but i think as we started getting bigger it was really hard to kind of manage that supply and demand right just mm -hmm. because there's so like, like so many jobs so like you can't really kind of really accelerate growth if you focus on everything so i think the last uh, last year or two years ago we started focus on the digital skills especially during the pandemic Mm -hmm. Because the only jobs that could really grow was a digital job. So you can work from home, you know, you need to sell goods online. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people started using our system to find out how to pivot their career to a job that they can actually work from home and sure. have a job. So I think during that, uh, during those two years, you're just very focused on, you know, helping people understand about the digital careers. So like software engineers, data scientists, digital marketeers. Um, so with that focus, then you can focus on onboarding the right mentors, onboarding, doing the right kind of campaigns to get the right kind of mentees that are interested in these careers. So I think it comes down to focus on specific career streams. Um, that way you can kind of balance it, balance the, the, the growth of the mentees and the yeah. mentors. Yeah, yeah I, th I think that's a that's a great point that can be generalized to any startup out there and any any business when you're when you're really getting up and you're you're building it out. There's a benefit to having focus because it allows you to trigger in on specific characteristics so that you're not trying to be, you know, when you're trying to be everything to everyone, you really end up being nothing to no one, uh, even though that's a double negative.
you know, you know what I'm saying. Um, so it's 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 quite interesting how you ended up zeroing in, getting the focus down, and certainly I imagine the pandemic has helped because even the the because after things have started to open back up, the transition is opening up more and more push towards digital. So university students need to have strong digital careers. Yeah. 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 Definitely. And also, I think one thing that opened this up is uh, talent mobility. Mm. So you can, like, if it doesn't matter where you are, you can be, you know, working in Malaysia, work, but as an engineer, but working remotely for a Singaporean company, sure, or, or an Australian company, because we all know that you can work remotely now, right? It's you cannot say you can't. So, you know, <laughs> I think there's a demand for young people as well, knowing that they want some sort of flexible work, work life, because. You know, the last two years, mm-hmm. we all have been working like that. So, so it has really opened up different opportunities in this kind of a talent mobility space where, you know, even Singaporean companies might be looking at Malaysian engineers, Indonesian engineers, Vietnamese mm-hmm. engineers, just because just generally they're cheaper, yeah. right? Yeah. And the, the great thing about this as if you are the engineer is that you can stay in your hometown. Mm-hmm. You can live where you want to live, but you can earn in US dollars, Australian dollars, Singapore dollars, right? So there's a huge attractive to this uh, space, right? Yeah, with without a doubt. Let, let, let me let me take a different tact on that same point, though, because you get the benefits from a company that's that's focusing on this of all of these trends affecting talent mobility, digital careers, so on and so forth. But you also must manage your own operations, your own hiring practices, your own internal talent development. So how do you see some of these same factors affecting the evolution of how you've managed the growth of your own team? Yeah, I think um, I think for us, we, we were quite easy to, <clears throat> it was quite easy for us to manage uh, our, especially when COVID hit, we, you know, we all, we all used, we all, my team plays games, so we all just went to Discord, right? Just use mm-hmm. a channel that we could all kind of imitate and working together. Um, but I find like what's tricky is the new people that come in, right? Mm-hmm. I think like for the existing team, you already have the relationships. You guys have been working together for years. It's easy. I think what we we had to start evolving was uh, how do we build that <clears throat> relationship virtually. Um, and sometimes the problem with that is that you might be only working with one person and you don't get to see the other kind of teams, right? So we organize, you know, virtual game night, uh, like, you know, every, every week we used to have someone to teach something. So we, we just had to try to imitate what's it like being in our office, but using different tools, mm-hmm. right? Um, but I think one thing that's so important is finding the right kind of people that fit that culture. Because there's definitely people that, will abuse it right like yeah no yeah you have to hire right uh but hire everything right. always comes down to hiring right yeah because i think like we definitely hired a few people that you know they just slacked off from home but mm-hmm. I mean, it was really quick to identify that because the team could see it not just myself yeah. right so i think so- it's also yeah I'm I'm curious. So it's it's easy to identify after the fact because you can tell you can tell in the results. But when you try and adjust the way that you are making decisions on who to hire, how have you incorporated that feedback in order to assess is this a person who will or is this a person who won't? I'm not gonna lie, man. I still don't know, but I, I think like I think <laughs> you I think... you and basically everyone else. But I always have to ask. <laughs> 
I, I think first it's, you know, it, it comes down to improving our questions, improving, um, you know, having maybe a bit more people to have that discussion with, with the candidate a bit more, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's always going to be monitoring the first few weeks, making sure that the culture is there. And if you can see it early, then don't, don't drag it on, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's like, how fast can you identify a bad candidate once they're in? Because there's some people that are really good at interviews. No matter, yeah. you know, they're so good at interviews, they can promise you the world. But once they actually need to do work, that's where you see it, right? Mm-hmm. When they're actually in the office, how they carry themselves, you know, and getting the teammates to also rate them. So, you know, interviews, you know, it's, it's, there's always going to be someone that's really good at it, but they'll be terrible at, at work. Yeah, no matter how much you tweak your process, there always ends up being that unknown variable that you don't really have it for certain until they're actually on board. Um, so I, th- I think it comes down to you know the 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 typical sort of hire slow, fire fast that that a lot of people talk about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, definitely. Okay, cool. Let, let's let's shift gears a little bit and talk so, and talk about kind of the growth outlook. What's coming next for Future Lab? So, when you look at the organization, how do you define success? What is success for you at this point, and how has that evolved since those early days in the coffee shop? Yeah, so I, I think success for us it's really um, I think there are two parts to it. Uh, first of all, the reason why mentors join us is because they like to make an impact. Right? I mean, these mentors, you know, they're really high positions, guys, managers from big MNCs. So it's not about the money, right? I mean, a lot of mentors do this for free. Mm-hmm. So it's a balancing about building a community that cares about impact, but also making sure that the youth can actually get jobs in this space. Right. So I think for us, it's all about can we build a mentoring program, bringing in industry mentors, completing, a, you know, getting them through step A, B, C and get a job. So I think it's all about focusing on really the learning experience for our mentees as well and helping them understand what they want to do, why they want to do it, and then getting them to go through the steps to actually get that job. So how we've been, how we've kind of evolved in the last, you know, the last year or so is that uh, we started designing programs. So programs for software engineering, data science, uh, digital marketing. We've designed a program where we actually get our mentors to come in and actually do like a technical training on how to do these things. And at the end, we have a demo day where our mentors can hire them for these roles. So, you know, this is, this is something that we started doing in Malaysia, but we also started expanding into Indonesia. Um, and working with the, the, the youth there as well. But what's really important to keep the mentors supporting this is the students shouldn't pay for it. Mm-hmm. So how do we build a model where young kids, young people don't need to pay for this, but that we can actually help them get a job, which is, which, is the, which is the secret sauce, I guess, for Future Lab, right? How do we build a system like that? Because if you look outside, everything is like, you got to pay 10,000 ringgit. You sure. do this, you know, but how do you build a system where as a young person that you might not have the money, right? Because education is expensive, but it doesn't mean yeah, that you yeah, can't be absolutely can't be good in digital marketing, software engineering, because it's like a digital skill. So as long as mm-hmm. you have someone that can teach you this skill, you can be good at it, right? So <clears throat> that's kind of like 
how we look on it and also like how do we scale this up so we can help uh, anyone anywhere and you're not limited on the resources you have to become a good engineer, a good software, uh, you know, digital marketer or a good data scientist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'd I'd have to imagine. I mean, if you're if you're charging a student directly, the willingness of a mentor to do it for free would probably erode because if you're getting paid for their specific activities directly, it it creates a complication. The the, the feel good aspect on behalf of the mentor becomes a little bit less. I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. So. And I think because we also work with uh, like corporates to do programs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when we invite our mentors into these programs, that we, we also train and certify our mentors. So when they come into these programs, we actually give them a gratuity as well. So mentors can earn money on FutureLab, but these will be when uh, we sell our software and our programs to a big corporate. Right, and right. So it's not the students. It's, there's, there's some corporation who has the pockets and the wherewithal and, and needs the skills from the mentor. And, and therefore, there's, there's an appropriateness to it. Correct, correct. So yeah, so I think we, we do want to launch a gig economy for mentors as well, because, you know, we, we want them to be involved in certain other programs that the corporates are sponsoring. So we build that for them. But in terms of our career accelerator, it's all about how can these kids go through this program for free and how do we monetize it from the, the corporate side? Okay. Okay. And, uh, and, you know, obviously there's, there's a bit of a social impact that will come out of the student side specifically as you, as you see impacts on employability, et cetera. Are you tracking and managing those figures? And as, as the scales up, is that going to be an important say marketing component in order to uh, promote what you're doing for uh, the local ecosystems here in Malaysia, Indonesia, and what other other countries you start expanding to as well? Yeah, so I think that's the that's also the reason why we focused, right? When we when it was just doing everything, sometimes it was just a conversation, right? It wasn't even like uh, directed towards a job. So I think the last year or so, we started focusing on building all these metrics to track, first of all, the pedagogy side of things, right? Are they learning? Are they getting better in mm-hmm. certain key skills? But and then at the end of the day, we're looking at how many of them get hired, how many of them get interviews. Um, and also, I think clarity in what they want to do. Because mm-hmm. I think young people have all the skills they need to do whatever they want, right? They're well-educated. What do you find with younger people is just they have no idea what they want to do. So what the first part for us is clarity in what they want to do. The second thing is like once they know what they want to do, we want to make sure we have programs to help them uh, you know, get that job build that startup, uh, yeah, change that career. Yeah. So first we'll be, uh, we will be, we are tracking all these key metrics for that. Yeah. Okay. And out of curiosity, since we're on the topic of metrics, you know, oftentimes when you're, when you're managing a business, you can end up filling up massive spreadsheets, the number of different metrics that you can look at can expand rather substantially, but have you narrowed it down to perhaps one or a few metrics that are the most important that you track on a regular basis? Uh, Yeah, definitely. I think um, it's really interesting because matrix as you're developing a company, right, you, you start tracking everything, mm. right? And it, and it just gets really, really messy because it's like just so much things, right? But one thing we just recently did, which was um, something that, you know, I, I wanted to try was I actually got everyone in the team to tell us, you know, what is the biggest problem in Future Lab? So actually everyone from the, the product side to the community side, marketing side, they just basically wrote down everything. 
And from there, we actually identified three key uh, objectives for us, right? For one is, you know, career accelerator applicants. The second one is activation of users and also retention of users. And the way that we did this was very interesting because it gets alignment in everything, in everyone as well. It's not just me telling you what is the key matrix and then you just doing it because I say so. I think what's really powerful about setting a key matrix is if your team buys into it and really believes this is the key matrix, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think, yeah. So I think this is something we tried and I definitely getting a lot of results from it just because the buy-in wasn't from me. I wasn't telling them what the key matrix is, but we had to kind of look into like, Hey guys, we're tracking all of this, but there's so much data now for us to go through every single one. It's not really the key matrix anymore. It's sometimes it's just a team matrix, but what is the company's key matrix as a whole company? So we picked, a few metrics that all of us can work towards. The mm -hmm. product team, the marketing team, the ops team, that is the company's key metric. Yeah. So I think like, yeah, we, we narrowed down to three or four key metrics for, for the rest of the year. And I think as we solve these problems, there'll be other things that we will uh, add on and, and change because there's no longer uh, a big issue for us. Yeah, yeah I, th I think it's it's the same as the the the, the feature offering that you were talking about and the dif the different types of uh, skills and careers. It comes back to focus. When you have too many metrics that you're trying to analyze, it's hard to really understand the levers and drivers because there's just too many that are going on. There needs to be a level of focus, especially at the management level. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and also sometimes it's hard for the team to see how it's connected. Right, especially mm. if everyone has a different kind of matrix, right? But because there's a bigger picture, but they might not see how it fits. Yeah. So, yeah. so if you focus it and everyone knows this is the key matrix, then everyone is working towards this, right? And that's yeah. kind of, and I think when the team gets bigger, it's all about alignment and they can drive them forward towards it. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. I find, I find the role of a, a founder changes over time. It's, it's just a bit more like how do you enable the team to figure it out and move towards it themselves, right? Um, right, right. Delegation as opposed to like in the early days, you're rolling up your sleeves, you're yeah. you're arranging the, the the as with the coffee shop days. You know, you're getting into every single aspect, but you can't do it forever. That doesn't scale. Yeah. So, so yeah. So I think that's kind of like our realization now as we are going towards our Series A to expand to new countries. I can't come in here and tell you hey these are the main problem the team needs to know this is the problem absolutely then they can come up with their own solution because every country will be different right like, yeah so let's say we have expanded indonesia as a new market a new environment there's there's so many different things but I can't be in two places or three places at the same time. Yeah. And you need to be able to train a leadership team underneath you to take the responsibility, take the charge, be able to analyze and understand as well, because you need to be able to ultimately give them more and more responsibility as the organization grows. That's, 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 that's definitely a fantastic point. L let me ask you, you know, so in, in, in staying on the kind of the, the, the theme of metrics and, and so forth, you know, there, there's levers and drivers of the things that are going to move those uh, measures, right? What is one specific thing, whether it's an activity, a decision, an area of focus that you must get absolutely right in order to hit your targets? 
one metric to get exactly right or one thing? One specific, like an activity or a decision, or maybe a focus yeah. area that that's that's the main thing that you need in order to hit your targets for say, let's let's go out twelve months or yeah. two years, one of the two. Humanizing the product. Mm. I think I think mentorship is a very relationship kind of, you know, you're speaking to a random stranger, right? Like, how do you build that relationship? You got to find a mentor as well. Mm. So I think like as we get bigger uh, and we have different countries using it, localization of language, it's one big yeah. thing, right? Uh, we find that the mentees that can't get jobs sometimes it's English mm. because they they. The system has been built in a way that they they speak Malay the entire degree, and then suddenly you need to go for a job as in English, right? <laughs> yeah, not not so easy. And and certainly as you expand into Indonesia, you know, it's uh, the English is and as predominant across skill levels. Correct. Um, yeah. So and first, same will be with most other countries that you end up expanding into. Yeah. So actually, now we're getting mentors that can speak. Uh, both local language English and Malay Indonesian uh, and English this way uh, but we also train the mentors in that you know these mentees they're smart they're ambitious but you need to help them understand that to build a confidence in speaking English because you want to apply for any of these tech jobs it's going yeah. to be in English any MNC is going to be English right so I think it's localizing the product localizing and making it easier to understand how to get mentored as well because mentorship is also new right So, sure, sure, and there's 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 sometimes a little bit of a barrier, let's say, culturally in different parts of the world, uh, of being open, especially on the first time of meeting somebody that's your senior, and that's so right. you end up developing this mentor-mentee relationship. There's a hesitancy in order to show flaws to yeah. your senior, yeah. Yeah, so that's what we realize actually. It's just actually now now that we're getting like we have so many different kind of people using it, right? It's Language is a huge barrier. So, like, how do we make it in a way that anyone can come on and use the product? Because they want to use it, but they're scared to use it. They're scared to speak to a stranger. Mm. They're scared to say, you know, they might not ask the right questions. So these are the things, right? That human, um, as we have more users, then we start studying the different kind of segments, and like, how do we kind of humanize it for different segments, different regions? Yeah, so I think for me, that's I think that's the key thing that I tell the team: like, how do we humanize the product and making sure that people feel comfortable using it? Because if you're already good, you can and you can get a job that you won't use future. Mm -hmm. But if you're the one that have a low confidence, you feel like you can't. Your know, motivation is down, but you need help. You know, those are the people that we try to carry along in that journey. So yeah, humanizing the product. Okay, that's 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 fantastic. I love the aspect of humanizing the product. Let me let me wrap up here with my typical closing question. So, as you've been building Future Lab, what is a tech tool that you just cannot live without? Uh, it's, for me, it's like it's just my Google Calendar. Like my 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 schedules, it's just packed. I literally <laughs> live off my calendar, right? Um, my meetings, which meeting I need to go in for. So for me, it's, it's definitely going to be, uh, yeah, my Google Calendar. I think that, that I live my life off my calendar. <laughs> yeah, you and me both. As as it starts to stack up with meeting after meeting after meeting, and you still have to do your normal routine day to day yeah. work, you really need that calendar to be tightened up. 
Yeah, and everyone needs to know my calendar. So also, if they yeah. need to, you know, if they know when I'm free, they need to jump in. That it's my calendar. And if it's not my calendar, I need to do my work then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Snatch a spot before it's gone. Snatch yeah. a spot before it's gone. For other founders out there that are just getting started, what is the biggest piece of advice that you could offer? Oh, well, um, for new founders that want to build a company. I always, I always say like, focus on like think about the problem first, right? Because I feel like we've met so many. Uh, entrepreneurship is very hard, right? It's very hard, right? Like I mean, even when we started, we started. With, I know a lot of friends that the company didn't survive. I find that one of the reasons why I noticed that they they didn't survive is that sometimes they're too fixated on their solution. They should focus on their problem and be flexible in how they solve it. Because that's how you evolve, right? That's how you kind of your company evolves based mm-hmm. on like the market, what's happening. Because you're flexible in that development, you're agile enough to move with it, and also you can see what's happening. The guys, uh, the, the the people I know that are like super, you know, this is the way of doing it. I know this will work. I feel like when it doesn't work, they like they they can't handle it. Don't but know how to, yeah, they can't handle it. It's like it's you know they they reinvest all their resources in it. So I think it's just having that kind of like open mind, being humble about how you go about solving this problem and really mm-hmm. trying to understand the problem well. Because I started thinking about these ideas when I was 24. So I only started, I left my job to build it when I was like 28. So I've been thinking about this a long, for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. And I also was mentoring kids, doing this coffee shop stuff. So like when I left my job, I was like, hey, I really <laughs> believe this will work. Um, yeah, you obsessed over the problem for long enough, and yeah. you know we 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 started out the conversation. The product has evolved over time, so you inherently had to have the flexibility because product very very rarely does a company get product market fit straight on day one. You have to kind of evolve, take the feedback right. from uh, from the people that are experiencing the problem, the ones that are you you are trying to help to a solution. Yeah, and just have that, you know, be open to feedback, right? <laughs> if they say it's bad, take it. Don't don't say it's this guy's an idiot or whatever, right? Like <laughs> it's, it's it's feedback, right? Like take that feedback, take it, try take it in a productive way and you know, improve your business, improve yourself, improve the product. I, I, I love it. Be, be Focus on the problem. Be flexible with your solution. That is fantastic. Brian, this has been a fantastic uh, session. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for being here. Uh, Thanks, Kevin, for the invite. All right, that wraps it up for another fantastic episode of The Sea of Startups. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Go on to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. It's the best way for us to get discovered and to have these startup stories reach a broader audience. If you have any suggestions or would like to get in touch, you can email me at kevin at indelible.vc. As always, I'm your host, Kevin Rockland from Indelible Ventures, and this is the Sea of Startups.